0: Welcome, everyone, to Creating a Family talk about adoption and foster care. As you probably know by this point, I'm Dawn Davenport. I'm both the host of this show as well as the director of CreatingAFamily.org. Today is our annual adoption tax credit show, so it would be adoption tax credit for the 2021 taxes. And we have the we have the gang all back here. Yet once again, we we are the or you are the adoption Tax credit uh, gang. We have Becky Wilmoth. She is an enrolled agent and adoption tax credit specialist with Bill's Tax Service. And Josh Kroll. He is the Adoption Subsidy Resource Center Coordinator at the North American Council on Adoptable Children. And Josh, I think it would be fair to say that you also are their go to at, the, at NACAC for the adoption tax credit. Welcome, Josh and Becky, back to creating a family.
1: Thank you. Thank you.
0: Okay, so the adoption tax credit for uh, adoptions being claimed on your 2021 taxes. Josh, what is the amount that we're able to claim this year?
1: The maximum amount per child is $14,440.
0: And that's a per child. Gotcha. Okay. And and Josh, let's go ahead and talk about the the whole, ref- we have to say, because it, there was that one shining moment a long, long time ago that this was a refundable. So we continue to get questions about whether it's refundable. So if you'll cover that, Josh, uh, we'll get that out of the way.
1: It's unfortunately still not refundable. There is a big push. There's more hope this year that it will be refundable, but it's, there's still some hope that it might happen this year, but more likely if there were any movement on it, it will happen in 2022 and be available for the next tax season.
0: Gotcha. Okay. And, And why don't we go ahead and we usually save this to the end. But if you could tell people where they would go to advocate for this, getting the tax credit to become refundable, where would they go?
1: Adoptiontaxcredit.org is the website that folks are who are advocating for it could go and find out information about the bill numbers and um, some tips on how to reach out to their members of Congress to uh, add their voice to that effort.
0: And we really encourage you to go to adoptiontaxcredit.org and do just that because it is our advocacy that will make this happen. All right, Becky, there I think continues to be with some people, particularly those who have not necessarily done their own taxes before or haven't had credits, to be some confusion between what is a credit, how it differs from deductions or any other form of tax saving. Okay, so you can you help us understand the distinction?
2: Absolutely. A tax credit is always better than a deduction. But the difference between a tax deduction and a credit, the tax deduction actually lowers your income. For example, like when you itemize your deductions, I realize fewer and fewer people uh, can itemize their deductions now, like mortgage interest, real estate taxes, charitable contributions. Because when the uh, standard deduction was doubled, It's harder and harder for people to itemize, but what that actually does, those deductions lower your income. What a tax credit does, it actually helps cover your tax liability. So, a tax deduction, yes, it lowers your income, which lowers your tax, but a tax credit actually helps cover that tax liability before it ever gets to your withholding. So what that means is that tax credit actually helps you get a bigger refund because it is covering your tax and so you are basically getting more of your withholding back and more of the refundable child tax credit back. So that's that's one of the th- reasons that the adoption tax credit is so important And why every one of us are so passionate about this adoption tax credit and trying to get it refundable again, because it does help Mm -hmm. more people when it's refundable. Because when that tax liability is met, if the adoption tax credit is refundable, they get the remaining portion of that whole adoption tax credit back at one time if it's refundable. Keep in mind
0: it's not refundable. Yeah. Correct. If it's
2: (laughs) right now it's not refundable. But like uh Josh was talking earlier, we are advocating very strongly for it to be refundable again. But since it is non refundable at this point, what that tax credit does, it covers your tax liability and then what you do not use, you carry that forward for up to five years. So the
0: tax credit is always better than a tax deduction. What about, we sometimes hear from people, I get a refund every year, so I don't pay any taxes. What would you say to that?
2: Well, and and that's the confusion. What most people may not understand, unless you're actually looking at page two of your federal tax return, the difference between your tax liability and your withholding every year is what you get as a refund or what you owe every year. So, they may have tax liability and not realize it because that tax liability is being covered either by the child tax credit or by their withholding. So even even though they get a refund, you know, they they probably have tax liability.
0: Josh, some people don't have tax liability for various reasons. So is there any reason for those people to apply for the federal income taxes?
1: Yes, because the credit has a six year it's a total of six years to you. It's the year you're claiming the credit, which for most adoptions is the year it's finalized, but you have up to five additional years to use it. So if the, the adoption tax credit either becomes refundable or their financial circumstances change, then claiming the credit has it on the record and they wouldn't have to go back to amend their return to establish it. So that's generally why we would recommend to people to still file and claim it, even if there's not the ability to use it in the year that they're claiming the credit.
0: Okay. So Josh, what type of adoptions are included? And I guess also which ones are excluded from the adoption tax credit?
1: So there's basically three types of adoptions that are included. There is adoption from foster care. There is private domestic adoptions, whether through an agency or independent through either an attorney or a facilitator. And then there's international adoptions. Any of those apply. And I want to really stress as more and more kin are adopting, being related to the child does not exclude you. So if you're a grandparent, an uncle, a cousin, even sometimes siblings adopting the child, that does not exclude you. The only people that are excluded is folks adopting, doing step-parent adoptions. That is adopting your spouse's child. If you are an unmarried couple and you're adopting your partner who you're not married to's child, that would still be eligible.
0: So unmarried, second parent adopts. And so if you're unmarried, but you are adopting your partner's child, that is included, but if you're married and adopting your partner or your spouse's child, that is not included. Correct. Okay. What about same-sex partners and second-parent adoptions, Josh? I'll go ahead and keep this one with you. It, it all depends: married or not. Okay. Got it. so the same same-sex or uh, heterosexual it doesn't matter. All right. All right, Becky. Can you get the credit for each adoption you complete, even? If it's completed in the same year, so like if you're adopting a sibling group or two unrelated kids and the adoption is in the same year, can you get two credits or is it one credit per year or one credit per child?
2: It is, it is one credit per child. And so you would absolutely take both for that year and what you did not use, you would carry that forward to the next year.
1: And I just want to add to that because... There are families that adopt sibling groups more than three, and I'm not sure how the software works, but I know in the past, folks doing the taxes by hand would say there's only, in the old days, there were only spots for child one and two. These days, there's spots for childs one, two, and three. If you're adopting four, you fill out another form 8839 to claim that fourth child and claim the credit for that fourth child. And it's that's in the instruction. So so if you're adopting more than a sibling group of three, still take it for each child. Just it's a little more work.
0: Okay. Excellent. That's a good point. Because we do see people adopting sibling groups four, five, sometimes even more. All right. The key term, it feels like, in the in the regulations and, and the IRS guidance is qualified adoption expense. So Becky. What is a qualified adoption expense for the purposes of the adoption tax credits being claimed here in 2021 taxes being claimed 2022?
2: For for IRS regulations, it is any necessary and reasonable expenses uh, directly related to the adoption of the eligible child. So that can include home study fees, legal fees, court fees attorney fees, traveling expenses, like when you're traveling, it's meals, hotel, flying, gas. There is not a mileage rate for adoption, so it would be for gas receipts. But dossiers, I mean, there's so many expenses that fall under that directly related to the adoption. For international adoption, sometimes when you get into the foreign country, you're required to get a cell phone strictly for the orphanage to contact you. So that would be a a legal expense directly related. Now, things like that you would purchase for any other child is not considered reasonable and necessary, specifically for the adoption, like a a set of bunk beds or, you know, those are things that you wouldn't, you know, normally buy. And generally, I always tell my clients you know let's let's start with the big ones first, you know, and generally, for private domestic and international, you know it's gonna be legal fees, attorney fees, travel you know those are start with the big ones and then worry about the little ones later as far as expenses to get to you know that maximum
0: amount you know that you're that we're trying to reach yeah fourteen fourteen thousand four hundred and forty. Right. Exactly. I think that is such good advice. People ask questions about such minor expenses. And generally speaking, I think, as you're pointing out, for domestic infant or for international, you're going to use up the credit with the, with your big rocks, you know, the big expenses. So you don't need to worry about some of the of the smaller, generally speaking, I realize there are exceptions to that, but generally speaking, that would be the case. Okay. Let me pause here for a minute to tell you about something new. We have been telling you about the free courses that we're offering from the Jockey Bean Family Foundation. However, we now have up to twelve or twelve free online courses available, and it's on our creatingafamily.org online parent training center. To get there, you could go to the free courses. You would go to this is a shortened link. It is support. That's b i t . l y slash JBF support. When you go there, the it's a coupon code on the page, but it will automatically when you go to when you put it in your checkout, the coupon code will automatically apply and you will get the course for free. So check out the 12 new courses. All right. Now, Josh, one of the, the, the one of the more confusing things about the adoption tax credit is the distinctions on when you can claim it, depending on the type of adoption that you're doing. So let's start with a, uh, domestic infant adoption. When can you claim the adoption tax credit
1: for a domestic infant adoption, or, or private? I would say there are some domestic privates that aren't infant adoptions Good point. that you can claim the credit. You're actually supposed to claim the credit the year after you pay the expense if it is not final or the year the expenses paid if it is final. So let's say I started the adoption process in 2019, or let's say 2020, I started the adoption process in 2020, I just got placed with a child, I'm gonna finalize in 2022. Whatever I paid in 2020, I will take on my 2021 taxes. And then in 2022, whatever I paid in both the year 2021 and 22, because that's the year I'm finalizing, I'll take on my 2022 taxes, plus if I have any carry forward from the amount I claimed on my 2021 taxes.
0: Okay. Now, how does that differ with international adoptions?
1: International adoptions must be final. There is some flexibility on when it's considered final, if it's final in country, Um, You can take it that year. If you have to uh, finalize back in the U.S., you can also choose that year if it ends up being tax favorable. And most often that would be for a family that's close to over income or over income one year, but not the other year in choosing which to use.
0: What about if families choose to re-adopt that? The adoption was finalized in the country, but for various reasons, maybe they want to have a... US paperwork showing so they readopt or they want to have a birth certificate or whatever.
1: That's that's the flexibility that the IRS has allowed.
0: Okay. So that's then you can if you readopt, then you could choose that year if so, yeah. if you so choose.
1: But if if you're not near over income, you probably want that money sooner than later. So you'll probably choose the year in country. But if you're you're close to the income limits, that might reduce the amount of credit you have available. That's the only, I mean, Becky probably knows more since she's, she's the actual tax professional, but that's my understanding is the reason people might choose one or the other.
0: All right. And then the last, Becky, anything to add to that before we move to foster care adoption? You have two
2: years to, if you are going to readopt when you get back in the country, you have two years to do that, but you have to choose, you know, you can't, Take the adoption tax credit and then decide, oh, well, we're going to readopt and then you know, take the additional you have to make that distinction before. And generally, it is absolutely an income threshold decision. Because I mean, you, as Josh said, you have invested a lot of money up to this point. So, you know, you you're going to, you know, want to recoup that, you know, as quickly as possible. But if you know that you're going to readopt, because some state depending on the country that you adopt from, depending on the state that you live in, you need to make that decision ahead of time. And and obviously, if it's an income issue and you are going to readopt, you know, the adoption tax credit does bump up a, you know, a few hundred dollars every year. So that will be just that much more that you will be able to recoup if you're going to readopt by that ad- adoption tax credit being a higher amount you know, possibly the next year or the year after that when you know you're going to readopt.
0: Okay. And and Josh, just to finalize, to go back through our list of when you can claim the adoption tax credit. We've talked about domestic infant or private, a good point it's one of the more private adoption, international adoption, then we talked about including readoptions. What about when can you claim for foster care, adopting from foster care?
1: So what we haven't talked about in the qualified adoption expense part and, and factors into the timing issue for foster care adoptions, most foster care adoptions don't have much, if any, qualified adoption expenses that the, the prospective adoptive parent are paying. So what happens if that child receives adoption assistance or adoption subsidy or for the folks in Washington state adoption support, that monthly payment? or Medicaid with a $0 agreement or the reimbursement non-recurring, they get to claim the full amount of the credit regardless of what they pay. If that is the route they're going to to utilize the adoption tax credit, it's the year they finalize. There are some instances where adoption from foster care may have out-of-pocket expenses like other private domestic adoptions. And in those cases, if they have those expenses before finalization, they would claim those expenses the year after they pay them. And that would be most likely sometimes folks to go through private agencies, but then end up adopting kids from foster care and do have a fair bit of expenses. Or sometimes there is fights with the foster care system over permanency decisions. And they may be fighting and paying attorney fees over that. that's the other most common one that I've yeah. heard of. but if it's not tied to expenses that are paid out of pocket, it's going to, and it's tied to the child being determined special needs. it's going to be the year that the adoption is finalized
0: before we leave this, I just want to make sure that we're fully understanding if as let's usually it's the case as a foster parent. You are paying legal fees because you disagree with decisions that the state child welfare agency is making on permanency. You are fighting them. You pay legal fees. Becky, are those legal fees a qualified adoption expense for the purposes of the adoption tax credit?
2: Yes, they are. Generally, they you know do not add up to the amount, um, the maximum amount that the foster care adoptions are qualified for if they have that subsidy agreement. So they would still qualify for the full amount of the credit. So they obviously would want to take that rather than just the legal fees if they are less. But something that I I wanna make very, very clear, and I've seen this a lot, is sometimes people think that, oh, well, I had expenses, you know, concerning like this situation where they had maybe some legal fees or something along the way, that are quite a bit less than the maximum amount that they actually qualify for, they think, well, oh, that well, that's all that I qualify for. That is not the case at all. And so, you know no matter if you do your own taxes or somebody else does your taxes, and if somebody tells you you don't qualify for that full amount, find somebody else, because I've seen it time and time again where families have actually qualified for the full amount of the adoption tax credit because, they have that subsidy agreement with the state for uh, the foster child that they adopted, and maybe they did have a thousand or two thousand in expenses you know along the way, so absolutely you know make sure that you take that full amount of the adoption tax credit if you have that subsidy agreement and not just if you had some expenses you know that normally foster care adoptions don't have but if your case is, is one of the rare cases that you do have expenses, you still qualify for the full amount
0: of that 14440 if you have that subsidy agreement. Okay, we're kind of talking around it, so let's just hit it, hit it head on. So, what Becky, what is the distinction? How are adoptions from foster care treated differently under the adoption tax credit than other types of adoptions?
2: well what qualifies them for the full amount of credit is that subsidy agreement it's it's called different things in different states josh and i both deal you know with with a lot of different states you know on a daily basis so you know different states call it different things but it basically means that either you are receiving a subsidy payment every month because the child is declared special needs and what you and I consider special needs and what the IRS considers special needs is two complete different things. Yes. The IRS considers hard to place without a subsidy agreement. And so that could be the monthly payment, that could be medical, it could be daycare. I mean, there's there's all all different things that can be tied up in that subsidy agreement. So if you have that subsidy agreement with the state, whatever state that you're in, for example, Illinois calls it Adoption Assistance Eligibility Determination, okay? But the English version of that is the subsidy (laughs) agreement that you sign with the state when the adoption's final. So because the child is hard to place without that subsidy agreement. So in the simple down version of all of that, if you have that agreement with the state when that adoption is final out of the foster care system, you qualify for the full amount of the credit. So, But as I said, the IRS, that subsidy agreement, if it's a foster care adoption, that subsidy agreement and that final judgment of adoption is what qualifies you for the full amount of that adoption tax credit. So you don't want Don't let anybody else tell you that you don't qualify because you do.
0: So just to be clear, making sure that I'm clear, even if you, let's say you have $500 of expenses, no more, you still are eligible if you are adopting from foster care to receive credit off of your federal tax liability for $14,440. Have I got that correctly? If you have the subsidy if, agreement, okay, correct. Yeah, if you have, yeah. That was the, the important part I left out. If you have the subsidy agreement.
1: I want to clarify on the subsidy agreement. So, because you know, as you introduced me, I'm the coordinator of the adoption subsidy resource center. So this is actually what I do more than the tax credit. And you'll hear it called stipend per diem maintenance, you know, different things. But it had the adoption assistance agreement has to have at least one of three things. Either the monthly payment, Medicaid, or the reimbursement of non-recurring adoption expenses. If the state does one of those three things, that is enough. Now, unfortunately, there are some states that do $0 agreements. I'm in Minnesota. We do $0 agreements, but Medicaid comes with that. That would qualify. Many states do $0 agreements because they're young kids. They don't have diagnosis, but they're at risk. And that's a great thing. But like, there's one state, Georgia, that does zero dollar agreements, but they don't give them the Medicaid or the reimbursement. That will not qualify. We've had that conversation with the IRS before. But most states will provide at least the Medicaid or the non recurring adoption expenses to qualify. And you know, if you have subsidy questions, I'm I'm that guy also. So yeah, you I are just wanted that guy. to absolutely, yeah, just want to clarify <laughs> that. So. Oh, and one other thing to clarify, sorry, as I got on one hobby horse, is (laughs) there are some, not often, but there are sometimes private agency, private domestic adoptions where it's not from foster care, where the child can receive adoption assistance. They will also qualify for the full amount, regardless of expenses they paid.
0: Okay, so if, and that's, isn't that a fairly unusual scenario or not, uh, as far as getting the child to qualify for a subsidy, if they have not, if they're not in in foster care?
1: I'm usually the person who gets those questions. So I probably think it's more common than it really is.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a valid point. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay, we, and we have to say this because we get this question every year. Josh, I've, if somebody has adopted a child with special needs and it's an international adoption. The child clearly has special needs, has medical needs, emotional needs, whatever. Does that, uh, does, that, does that make that child eligible for the special needs criteria under the adoption tax credit? And that is that they would get the, could they get the full subsidy regardless of their expenses?
1: You meant the full tax credit. Yeah, so, tax credit. Yes, thank you. So a couple of things I'm going to throw in here. First, the answer is no um, in law. International adoptions by law cannot be considered special needs for the federal adoption tax credit for folks, both private domestic and international, who are thinking along that route. And it is a common question. It doesn't do anything more than let you max out. And most international adoptions, i have never heard of an international adoption recently that costs less than exactly you know, fifteen thousand. Yeah, so it re- it wouldn't change the reality generally for them. So it's one of those things that it's like, even if you could, it probably wouldn't change the end result. So don't sweat it. Yeah,
0: for exactly. private
1: domestic. It really is that subsidy determination. Without that, you could be adopting privately a child that's, you know, cerebral palsy, Down syndrome, clearly has a disability. You know, most people would consider it special needs. But without that determination from the state, the IRS will not accept that as special needs. Because the, the the statutory language has the word "the state has determined," and that has actually gone to tax court, and and the family who was trying to claim a child that met the state's special needs criteria, but was not determined by the state because it was a private adoption, was denied the special needs criteria.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Okay. Or you know, benefit
0: under yeah, under the adoption yeah. tax credit exactly we hope that today's podcast has been helpful to you as you try to understand better the adoption tax credit if so would you please tell a friend that you learned about this on the creatingafamily.org podcast we get most of our new subscribers from word of mouth and we could really use the words coming from your mouth to help us thank you so much all right Another question that is a common one, Becky, I'll throw this one to you. Can you reclaim your expenses for a failed adoption? And if so, give us a scenario of how that would work. For the purposes here, well, let's just say a failed adoption, it would be any type of failed adoption.
2: Well, for a domestic private adoption, it is the same as if you know the adoption is not final um, it is domestic private adoption is the only one that you are eligible to wait until the following year to claim those expenses. So, for example, um, you had a failed adoption in 2020 and you paid those expenses in 2020. You would be able to claim those on your 2021 tax return that everybody's getting ready to do here in just a few short weeks. It's going to start so and and what happens is when you claim those failed expenses, whatever credit that you receive from those failed um, adoption expenses, and then you have a successful one, the amount of the credit that you receive on those failed adoption expenses, you would deduct that from the successful adoption that you have after that and then you would basically uh, start over with the amount that you're eligible to claim but if you had private domestic and the adoption failed or it's not final same rules you wait until the following year and you can claim those expenses
0: okay let me make sure i'm understanding this if you applied let's say you're doing a domestic private adoption you apply you are you're matched you've paid uh, birth mom expenses you pay other you've had travel costs whatever so you've incurred expenses. The baby is born. The mom decides to parent, so the adoption is not finalized. Those expenses you have incurred would be how would they be treated with that? And then the following year, you or later that year, you uh, uh, you get matched again. This time the mom decides to place, and so you have a successful finalized adoption. Do all the expenses for the first failed match and the, the and then the final one, are they all lumped together to be applied for one adoption tax credit? Is that how that would work?
2: Yes, that is. Everything except birth mother expenses. Birth mother expenses do not qualify as adoption expenses because it violates federal and state law. So, you know, if it is, if it does happen in the same year, for example, you would combine those as as if it was one.
0: And if it happens in separate years, you don't get two credits. You don't get a uh, fourteen four forty for for the failed one, and then the following year fourteen four forty for the successful adoption. Is that correct?
2: That is correct. So if you if you file, you know, the prior year for expenses you you had paid in a previous year whatever expenses, whatever credit amount that you received for that failed adoption, you would then deduct that from the
0: successful one gotcha. if it's the following year. What happens if you have a failed adoption, you claim the expenses, and you never have a successful, let's say you just decide to not adopt, what happens then? Nothing. Can you claim your, can you claim the Let's say you were out fourteen four forty. Can you claim that?
2: Yes, you can. So up to whatever that maximum amount is that year, that is the maximum amount that you would be able to claim,
0: even if you never have a final. Even though if you never one. have it,
2: right? Okay, that is right. If you never have a successful one after that, whatever that year is that you claim, you can claim those up to the maximum amount. So let's say. You had a failed adoption, and it was five thousand one year, and then you had another failed adoption, and it was another five thousand. And you see where I'm going with this. Whatever, whenever you hit that maximum amount, that's where it stops.
0: Excellent. Let's see. So, Josh, what income level? How, where do you start? Is the fourteen four forty? At some point, does it start reducing based on income level?
1: Yep. It starts at uh, 216,660 and it's always a 40,000 range. So it starts being prorated at that point, And then after um, 256,660, if your income, the year you're claiming the credit is over that amount, um, you will not be eligible if it's over that because you're over income. But I wanna really stress that it's only the year you're claiming the credit. If you, if let's say you're lower income one year, you know maybe with COVID you are unemployed for the year and you're you're claiming the credit, you can't use much of it. But the next year you get some job that pays you know three hundred thousand a year somehow or combined three hundred thousand a year, that won't impact the carry forward. It's only in the year you're claiming credit that the income test matters.
0: All right. Let's talk about self-employment tax. Um, Becky, will the adoption tax credit offset self-employment tax, or can it only be used to offset federal income tax liability?
2: Since the adoption tax credit is non-refundable at this point, there are some things that it does not cover. Self-employment tax is not covered. The 10% penalty for early withdrawal, from retirement is not covered and then first time home buyer payback is not covered. However, because of the 10% penalty caveat that is in that, there is now a what's called a QBOD if you have a an adoption or a birth, you can take a distribution from an eligible retirement plan up to $5,000 without the 10% penalty if you're under 59 and a half. So that is one, and that is because of the Secure Act that was signed. Um, that is a new a uh, couple years ago qualified birth or adoption distribution. Because for many years we saw families would take money out of their retirement to help, you know, get some extra money to to complete the adoption. And they would have to pay that 10% penalty. And that penalty was not covered under the adoption tax credit because it was non refundable. So, because of the Secure Act, they can, each spouse actually can take out $5,000 without that 10% penalty if they're under 59 and a half. But as I said, your original question, you know, since it's non refundable, self employment tax is not covered, unfortunately. And that is one of the one of the big reasons why we advocate so strongly to try to get it refundable again. So, self employment tax would be covered
0: if it becomes refundable again. Okay, gotcha. And thank you for uh, sharing that about the Secure Act and how that applies. Okay, uh, another thing to consider is if you receive employee benefits, many companies. And fortunately, we see an increase, and we hope to continue to see an increase in companies that offer adoption benefits for their employees. So Josh, how do employee adoption benefits work in with the adoption tax credit?
1: There is a portion of the adoption tax credit form 8839 for exclusions. So what would happen is let's say your employer gives you a $5,000 benefit, it shows up on your W-2, you would exclude that benefit from your income. It interacts with the adoption tax credit in terms of it is used, qualified adoption expenses for private, domestic, or international are applied to the exclusion first, and then the remainder to the adoption tax credit. So if I had... $5,000 $5,000 from my employer, and I'm, let's say I found a private domestic adoption of, that cost me $16,000, I would exclude $5,000, and then I would only have $11,000 available for the adoption tax credit because my total cost was $16,000. For special needs adoptions, the employer has to have such a program. They do not have to pay disbursement out of it. You don't actually have to receive money from the employer. But you if it's special needs, if you get that adoption assistance, you get to claim an exclusion of 14440 in that case.
0: And then that makes sense because basically what they're saying is that you get that regardless of expenses. Yeah. Okay. Becky, how does all this fit in with the child tax credit? First of all, if you adopt, can you still get the child tax credit? And how does the timing work? Or is it completely just totally unrelated? Well, the key for the child tax credit
2: is the social security number. You absolutely qualify for the child tax credit and the adoption tax credit, which for 2021, the child tax credit was made fully refundable, which normally 600 of it is non-refundable and 1400 of it was refundable, you know, for the maximum amount of 2000. Well, for 2021, for under six years of age, it was it's $3,600 and for six to age 17 is $3,000 and they're both fully refundable. But the key to all of that is social security number. You cannot receive a child tax credit with an A-10, adoption taxpayer identification number. You have to have a social security number in order to claim the child tax credit. And one of the things that we have seen because of adoption, you know, you know, within the last two years because of the stimulus payments, people have not qualified because they did not have the social security number by the due date of the tax return. So that's one of the reasons I always, always, always recommend that if you don't have the social security number yet, to file an extension and wait for that social security number because, you know, you lose quite a bit if you don't have that social security number. You lose the child tax credit because with the A-10, you can only claim the other, the $500 other dependent credit and the adoption tax credit. But with the social security number is worth waiting for because you can claim the child tax credit and the adoption tax credit. And so the Social Security number is the whole key to to all of this, you know, the last two years with the child tax credit, with the advanced child tax credit payments that people received this year from a monthly basis from July to today, December the 15th, you know, unless they went on the IRS child tax credit portal and opted out of it. So, they they would receive, unless they opted out, they would receive half of the child tax credit in advance. So, therefore, when this is all reconciled on their 2021 tax return that they will do, you know, after the first of the year. So, if they received you know half of that in advance that means half of their child tax credit is going to be cut in half when they do their tax return so the the biggest issue like I said is you know if you don't have that social security number yet file an extension wait on that social security number because that's the key to to the stimulus payments it's the key to the child tax credit it's the key to 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 a lot of credits
0: that makes sense. And and I don't know what, but for a while there, we were hearing that people were waiting really long to get their child's social security number that may have picked up in recent months.
2: It hasn't improved.
0: Oh, good. Good
2: there. Yeah. There for a while it was, you know, because so many social security administration was shut down. the IRS right. was shut down. That's why they are still at least six to nine. The IRS is still six to nine months behind on everything, because everything was shut down and because they were working on stimulus payments, not on return.
0: Gotcha. Yeah. And so we were hearing from people that they couldn't, they just simply couldn't get, they filed everything, but we were waiting and waiting, but I'm glad to hear that has improved. All right, Becky, I always throw this question to you. What type of documentation do families need for their adoption tax credit? And should it be submitted when you submit your taxes?
2: Well, thankfully now, the last several years, the Form 8839 can now be electronically filed with your return, so documentation is not required to be sent in. The the request for documentation has reduced significantly over the last few years. However, occasionally, you know, we do have the IRS does request documentation if there's an if there's an issue, particularly if if someone is claiming a child that shouldn't be, because they have, you know, been been adopted by someone else, so that's sometimes an issue. But for, we'll we'll start with all adoptions. For I always recommend that you get a big Manila envelope, market IRS documentation. That way, in the event that you do get a letter from the IRS requesting more documentation. Don't panic. You know, you've already got that documentation in that envelope, ready to go. You will need to keep in that envelope if the IRS requests more documentation. You will need the final judgment of adoption, final decree of adoption, certificate of adoption, whatever it is it is called, but it, and it must be the signed and dated copy through the finalization authorities For foster care adoptions, you will need that final judgment of adoption and the copy of the signed and dated subsidy agreement that is signed and dated by whatever authority, whatever state that you're adopting in. For all adoptions other than foster, you will need the final judgment of adoption, the home study placement agreements, all those, you know, again, must be signed by the authorities. And then for domestic, private and for international adoption, you will need documentation of all the paid qualified expenses. And like I said, for for all adoptions, the you know, you those have to be signed by authorities. The IRS will not accept the home study placement agreement or the judgment of adoption or the subsidy eligibility agreement without those being signed by the authorities. And one thing that I also highly recommend along with putting these in a manila envelope so you have them in one spot, you know, make sure you come home with those things because in the past that's kind of been an issue sometimes. Families may not come home with the right documentation or they may not understand what the IRS is requesting. Yes. So that's the important thing is and if they request documentation, don't ever send the originals, always send good copies. And whoever is the primary taxpayer on the tax return, put their social security number in red Sharpie at the top of every single page. Because sometimes what happens is when a tax return you know, or documentation or if they go together or separate, you know, they, they wind up being separated. Mm-hmm. And so if you put that Social Security number at the top of every page, even even the letter that the IRS sent to you requesting documentation, and that way it will get right to the right account um, and have less chance of getting lost or, or not getting to where it needs to go.
0: And we—I uh, think it wasn't last year, it was like a couple of years ago—we heard from somebody who had listened to the annual uh, Creating a Family annual adoption tax credit show. Heard you say that, did that, and they let us know that they found out afterwards that their uh, some of their file had just gotten separated, and it took a while, but eventually, because they had done that, everything got back together, <laughs> and it worked out. They didn't—they never actually had to get involved, uh, so. Important advice right there. Yes. Excellent. And can credit card receipts, does that work just your credit card, uh, not your credit card receipt, the, your credit card payment invoice that you get, can that count for your documentation or do you need the actual receipt from the, from whatever it is that you've paid? A credit
2: card will work because just it's the same way with medical expenses, because that credit card was charged, let's say in July of 2021, that is considered paid. So
0: absolutely. Okay, perfect. Josh, I wanted to go back to something you had said before about kinship adoptions. And I'm I meant to raise it then. So you you said that that kinship adoptions do work, but what if the child was never involved with foster care, the great- Started as an informal kinship arrangement,
1: it'd be like other private domestic adoptions. Okay. If the child's not in the foster care system, they probably have some out of, you know, some qualified adoption expenses that they can claim the credit against.
0: And if the child was in the system, then it goes back to whether they have the subsidy agreement. Correct. Gotcha. You know, as we work with kinship families, it occurs to me this is something that needs to be pointed out when they're trying to decide at the very beginning, whether they want to get involved with foster care and their advantages and disadvantages from a a kinship uh, perspective.
1: My experience is more often than not, they're not given a choice or they're tried to, uh, oftentimes are pushed to be not in foster care to save states money.
0: Yeah, and I'm hoping that that's changing some. But yeah, as my grandmother would say, hope in one hand, spit in the other. So yeah. there you go. Hey, guys, let me stop a moment to thank Vista Del Mar. They have been a long-time partner with creating a family and supporting this show, as well as our other things that we do, other resources we create. They are, Vista Del Mar is a licensed nonprofit adoption agency with over 65 years of experience helping to create families they offer a home study only service as well as full service infant adoption international home studies and post adoption support as well as a foster to adopt program you can find them online at vista delmar.org adoption thanks Vista Del Mar all right Josh what are if you could pick one or two of the most common questions you get about the adoption tax credit, what would they be?
1: Well, the how does it work or you know, how would it benefit me? And then what is special needs are probably the two most common that I get. Mm-hmm. And so like my standard example, and it works this year with it not refundable, but let's say NACAC uh, withholds $5,000 from my paychecks that shows up on my W-2. I go and do my taxes and I'm a boring guy. So I, most people have boring taxes. Uh, thankfully, not everybody does. It keeps, you know, Becky and, and business there, but I born in taxes, a tax table, say I owe $4,000. In a normal year, I'd get a $1,000 refund because, you know, I paid in five, I only owed four. So I get a $1,000 refund to me. But, you know, I've now adopted a child and I have 14,440 adoption tax credit. I use 4,000 of that to wipe out the 4,000 I owe from the tax tables. And I now owe zero. I get all five thousand refunded to me that I had withheld, and then the remaining ten thousand four hundred forty carries forward to my twenty twenty taxes. And I keep doing that until I either use up the credit or a total of six years have passed. And as we discussed earlier, for special needs, it's really going to be tied to that adoption assistance agreement.
0: All right, excellent, Becky. What are the most common questions that you receive at the beginning? about the adoption tax credit
2: the same questions that josh (laughs) had but but the 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 biggest issue most people the non-refundable and the refundable um what's what's the difference how it works on their tax return so the the biggest the biggest issue is understanding federal tax liability that that's that's the I would say number two is what is federal tax liability? You know, most, you know, unless you're a tax geek like I am, you know, most people don't understand, you know, what federal tax liability actually is. Uh-huh. And so that's kind of like Josh said, you know, when you've got so much withholding and this is your tax liability. You know, I'm old enough, Dawn, that, you know, I remember. You know, you would figure up your your adjusted gross income and then you'd go to the tax book and you would go across the line and find out what your tax is and then the difference between those two. And the other one I would say probably is what is modified adjusted gross income? Because most people, when they look at their tax return, bottom of page one, it has their adjusted gross income. Well, for the adoption tax credit, it's modified adjusted gross income when it comes to the income phase-out ranges. So that modified adjusted gross income is basically what we would always call front-page deductions or above-the-line deductions. And so those things are added back in to that adjusted gross income. For example, like the student loan interest deduction or traditional IRA contributions that allow for a, if you qualify for that front page deduction, above the line deduction. That's what modified the difference between modified adjusted gross income and adjusted gross income.
0: Gotcha. And the last question, Becky, how to find a tax specialist that actually knows something about the adoption tax credit?
2: Well, the first place that everyone always needs to start is go on the IRS website and there is, you can search for preparers on that website, whether they are an enrolled agent like I am, an an enrolled agent specializes in taxation. You know, there are are CPAs that do taxes, but most of the time they specialize in bookkeeping and accounting and payroll and, and all of those things. So most of the time you you're going to want to look for an enrolled agent and ask questions. Don't ever be afraid to ask questions. How many adoption tax credit returns do you do a year? How, you know, how many cases have you won against the IRS? You know, do, you know, do you know the ins and outs? So, you know, it's it's important. Don't ever be afraid to ask questions.
0: And do you need to use a tax preparer that is local to you or at least or even in your state or can you go to someone who is not in your state
2: you can absolutely use a remote preparer i did 42 different states last year i love technology like i said i'm i'm a geek so you know we have a secure portal and and most tax preparation places you know do have secure portals now you know, the main the main thing, Dawn, I think is number one, you need to find someone, number one, with a good reputation. Number two, that is legally qualified to prepare returns. You know, the IRS in the past few years has worked very diligently trying to find what we would call ghost preparers, where they would prepare a turn, but they wouldn't sign their name to it. And so, you know, and when you have IRS issues, you're basically on your own. You know, if you Mm -hmm. use a ghost preparer, so use, go to, go to that IRS website, you know, they, their qualifications, whether you're an EA or a CPA, or, you know, if they have the AFSP designation where they have just taken, you know, the basic test used to be called registered tax return, prepare RTRP. Now it's called AFSP. You know, those, those people that are on that database at least have a minimum amount of knowledge of taxation and, and hopefully tax preparation. But you, if you, you know, if you, there's, you know, the, they always say the devil's in the details, <laughs> you know, every situation is different. There is, you know, Josh, and I deal with it on a daily basis, the details, everybody has a different situation, different circumstances, you know, different things going on with that certain type of adoption, So, you know, don't ever be afraid to ask questions, you know, Mm -hmm. just call the person or email the person and say, hey, you know, what do you know about this? This is my situation. Have you dealt with this before? You know, and if you know, I've I've had clients that have said, you know, well, everybody told me that I didn't qualify for the adoption tax credit. And I talked to them less than 20 minutes and I knew that they qual. Not only did they qualify for the adoption tax credit, they qualified for the full amount of the adoption tax credit. And we went back and amended three years of returns and got them back $46,000. So, you know, don't ever be afraid to ask questions if they tell you, especially if they tell you you don't qualify, when every adoption qualifies but the adoption of a stepchild. So, you know, ask
0: questions. Okay, excellent. Good good advice across life, actually. Ask questions. (laughs) All right, one last plug for adoptiontaxcredit.org. Very important for those of us who are advocating for to make this tax credit refundable, please go. It's an easy site to navigate adoptiontaxcredit.org. Josh, last word goes to you.
1: All right, so one, you don't if you do your own taxes, you don't have to hire someone. If you're worried about calculating ma- modified adjusted gross income, software will do that for you. If you do hire someone and they don't understand special needs adoption, you need to tell them to look at the instructions, specifically line one, column D, example one, and line five, special needs adoption. If they don't understand them, take Becky's advice from earlier, find someone else. But if you do your own taxes, you don't necessarily have to hire someone for this credit.
0: Yeah, it's a very good point. That's a very good point. All right. Excellent. Thank you so much josh kroll and becky Wilmuth for being with us to talk about the adoption tax credit it is the appropriate time of year <laughs> thank you very much guys and to everyone else thanks for joining us and i will see you next week